In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, divine mercy, we gather here in your real presence, in this holy place, this house of God, and we ask your blessing upon us tonight. And we ask your blessing in a special way upon all Ukrainian people who are suffering in a particular way right now, who are in need of a fresh outpouring of your divine mercy upon their country, upon all Ukrainian people. Mother Mary, we turn to you, the Queen of Heaven, the Queen of Peace. And we crown you the Queen of our prayer here tonight as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I wanted to talk tonight about divine mercy, the saving power of divine mercy. And I have a few quotes that I've taken from the diary of St. Faustina Kabolska. She is known as the Apostle of Divine Mercy. She was the first person canonized in the new millennium back in 2000. Pope St. John Paul II canonized St. Faustina, and he established the Feast of Divine Mercy, which is now celebrated throughout the, the church on the second Sunday of Easter. And so Jesus spoke a lot to St. Faustina, and she recorded a lot of what he said to her. And so I'm going to read a few quotes tonight throughout my talk. But I want to start with this one because it has to do with priests talking about divine mercy. So Jesus said, Tell my priests that hardened sinners will repent on hearing their words when they speak about my unfathomable mercy, about the compassion I have for them in my heart. To priests who proclaim and extol my mercy, I will give wondrous power. I will anoint their words and touch the hearts of those to whom they will speak. So I trust in that. I trust that he will anoint my words tonight and that he will touch your hearts. And that whoever hears this talk will also be touched by God's grace and mercy. Jesus also said, proclaim that mercy is the greatest attribute of God. All the works of my hands are crowned with mercy. So we'll come back to the diary later. But I think that gives us enough inspiration and motivation to listen to the word of God tonight with new ears, with a particular openness to what God has to say to us. So tonight I want to touch on a couple of themes, repentance and forgiveness. And I realize forgiveness might be a really difficult topic right now for Ukrainians, but that's why I felt inspired to preach about it. And then next week, we'll touch on renouncing certain evil spirits and lies that might be uh, distorting our thoughts about God and about ourselves or about other people. 
We'll take authority over those lies and evil spirits next week, and then we'll pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We'll pray for the Father's blessing. So if you're familiar at all with the unbound model of prayer, we're basically going to go through the five keys of the unbound prayer. They call them the five keys because as we turn those keys and as we pray these prayers and invoke these blessings upon us, we are set free in a greater way. We're set free from sin and from fear and shame and guilt and anger and resentment and bitterness, all of those things that we want to be set free from so that we can love more, so that the love of God can be poured into our hearts in a greater way, so that we can be transformed more and more and to become like Christ. So, repentance, repentance. At the very beginning of the gospel, as Jesus goes out, he calls for repentance. John the Baptist, this is Mark's gospel. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus echoed that in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The Father sent Jesus into the world so as to reconcile us with himself. God the Father sends the Son to save us, to reconcile us with himself, through himself, and in himself. It's a work of the whole Trinity. We all believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I like to describe that as God's dynamic love, the dynamic of God's dynamic love. How God is always taking the initiative, who's coming out to us to save us. And once he saves us, once, he, once we respond to him in faith, he leads us back into the heart of the Father through his mercy. He forgives us. He cleanses us. He strengthens us. And then what does he do? He sends us back out to be apostles of mercy and to preach the good news to other people. To learn how to be his disciple. And that's the dynamic of God's dynamic love. So we're going to get into that tonight as well. So to repent, we can't forget that because of sin, death entered the world. Suffering and pain and war and famine and sickness and disease entered the world because of sin. We can't forget that. Otherwise, why would we need a savior? Sometimes we forget the big story. But we, we have to remember the big story, the history of salvation, the history of humanity. And we can't forget that Adam and Eve were tempted 
by Satan and, and disobeyed God. They sinned. They turned their backs on God. They trusted more in themselves than in God. And that ruptured our relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, and even with nature. So the consequences of sin were catastrophic, you could say. And what's happening back home in Ukraine is evidence of that. Sin is the root of all evil. And so we have to repent of it. We have to ask forgiveness for our sins and encourage other people to repent and to convert, to turn back to God. I think the Blessed Virgin Mary has always done that throughout the history of the church. And when she appeared in Fatima in 1917, during World War I, she told the shepherd children, Francisco, Jacinta, and Lucia, to pray for the conversion of sinners and the salvation of souls and in reparation for the sins of the world. Why? So that the war would end and so that a second, even worse, world war could be avoided. Imagine, World War II could have been avoided. That's what Mary was saying. That's what Mary was saying. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. So sin went unchecked, I like to say. It wasn't repented for. People weren't asking for forgiveness from God. They weren't turning back to God with faith, asking for mercy. And so the evil just continued to spread. And World War II happened. And now here we find ourselves in 2022 in a very precarious situation. And so we're inspired to pray again with great fervor, with great hope in God's ability to turn hearts back to him. And tonight we're like conduits of grace. We're instruments of peace. Whenever we pray, what are we doing? We're opening our hearts to God to heaven. And we're saying, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, here and now as it is in heaven. And God's will is not war. God's will is not hatred. That's not God's will. God wants there to be peace. He wants there to be faith and hope and love. He wants to be a part of our lives. He wants to be at the center of our lives. But we all get distracted, don't we? We all sometimes lose faith and hope and love. And so we come back to God and we ask for forgiveness. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a friendship with us. Let me quote again from the diary. He said, my heart overflows with great mercy for souls and especially for poor sinners. If only they could understand that I am the best of fathers to them and that it is for them that the blood and water flowed from my heart 
as from a fount overflowing with mercy. For them I dwell in the tabernacle as king of mercy. So he's referring to the image. He's referring to the fact that when he was hanging from the cross, right after he died, the soldier thrust his lance into his side and out poured forth blood and water, which we see depicted in the image of divine mercy. That's symbolic of the sacraments, the living water, the waters of baptism, and his blood, the Eucharist, giving us new life in Christ. What we're talking about tonight, our whole life of faith depends on God's grace, his power, and his presence. Christianity is a religion of grace. God giving us his divine life, sharing it with us. So we can't be good without God's grace. We can't be converted. We can't grow in love. We can't be merciful without God's grace, his power, and his presence. Living and active in each one of us. So when we pray, we should be asking for grace for ourselves. And for the grace of conversion for sinners. Without that, we can do nothing. Jesus said that. Remember that at the Last Supper? Jesus was talking to his best friends, his apostles. Let's read that real quick. John chapter 15. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The words of Jesus. So apart from him, we can do nothing good. We can do nothing that will bear fruit for eternity in a good way. So that's why we need his grace. And so we all need the the grace to repent for our sins, to trust in his mercy. If you notice the the motto of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. He wants us to trust in him. He doesn't want us to be afraid of him. God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. That's why I like to say that he became a man like all of us (laughs) by being born of a woman, by, by becoming a baby. He wanted to become a baby so that we wouldn't be afraid of him, but so that we would be drawn to him, so that we would be attracted to him. And then look at how he died, naked on a cross, defenseless. He doesn't want us to be afraid of him. But rather, what did he say when hanging from the cross? I thirst. I thirst. What is he thirsting for? Your faith, your love, your friendship. That's what Jesus is thirsting for. Your friendship. He doesn't want slaves who follow him out of fear. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for friends who walk with him in love, in devotion, in faithfulness. That's what he's looking for. 
That's what he wants. That's what he desires. And that's really what we desire too. We're all made for love, for truth, goodness, and beauty. Those expressions of love. That's what we're all made for. And he knows that because he made us. So he is the ultimate fulfillment of our lives. We all long for him. If we can get in touch with that desire, then we will long for him all the more and want to spend more time with him and want to learn from him and become more like him. The lover desires to become more and more like the beloved. But again, that's a work of grace. We have to desire it. That's true. That's our cooperation with the process that we willfully, freely participate. But then it's his grace at work in us that transforms us. So when we repent, that allows us to then receive his mercy, his love, his compassion. He knows we're weak, but he wants to make us strong. By his grace. So we keep depending on him. And he never tires of helping us. Listen to this one. Do not lose heart in coming for pardon. For I am always ready to forgive you. Here's another number. What joy fills my heart when you return to me. Because you are weak, I take you in my arms and carry you to the home of my Father. He loves to help us. He loves to forgive. He loves to take our sins away. When we ask for forgiveness, Jesus comes and fills us with his presence. He takes away our sins. He doesn't just forgive, but if we let go, which is what he wants us to do, if we let go of the sin and allow him to forgive us, we can also give him the burden of the sin that weighs us down, the guilt, the shame, the fear, whatever went with our sin or the sin that people committed against us, he wants to take that away too. He doesn't want you to punish yourself. We Catholics tend to do that, I think, more than other Christians. That Catholic guilt. And then we live with that as if we we had to punish ourselves or we want to punish ourselves so that we believe then God won't punish us. God doesn't want to punish you. God is not interested in punishing you. He's interested in healing you in redeeming you, in saving you, in transforming you into himself and uniting you to himself more and more. He doesn't want to punish you. Listen to this. I cannot punish even the greatest sinner if he makes an appeal to my compassion. But on the contrary, I justify him in my unfathomable and inscrutable mercy. 
right, before I come as a just judge, I first open wide the door of my mercy, his heart. He who refuses to pass through the door of my mercy must pass through the door of my justice. So he much prefers to deal with us in mercy. My daughter, write that the greater the misery of a soul, the greater its right to my mercy. Urge all souls to trust in the unfathomable abyss of my mercy, because I want to save them all. On the cross, the fountain of my mercy was opened wide by the lance for all souls. No one have I excluded. There you go. So there's hope for everybody. There's hope for everybody. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. I don't know about you, but I find that very inspiring, very hopeful. This is like music to my ears. I can still remember the first time I heard about this. I hadn't yet joined the seminary, but I was already thinking about the priesthood. And I didn't read the diary like this by itself, but someone gave me a a commentary on the diary that was shorter, that had the pithy quotes in there. And I was so moved by what Jesus was saying and by what he was promising. And I couldn't believe that I hadn't heard about that before. I was 20 years old. And ever since then, I've been such a fan of divine mercy. So let us not be afraid to ask for mercy, to ask for forgiveness. And then let's not hang on to what God forgives. Let it go. Whatever God forgives you of, let it go. Turn it over to him. Release the burden so that it doesn't weigh you down. Because your sin doesn't define you. The devil would like to wag his finger in your face and say, shame on you. God never does this. God never does this. God never points his finger in your face and says, shame on you. But rather, he looks you in the eye and he sees you for who you are, his beloved child. His beloved child. And he says, I love you. I call you by name. You are mine. I give you a new name, in fact, a new identity. Christ gives us a new identity. When we were baptized, we became new creatures, right? We became children of God. Adopted sons and daughters of our Father. Now sharing in that divine life. Divine adoption. We are now children of light. Thanks to God. Thanks be to God. So God does not identify us by our sins. He's not keeping a list The devil does that. The devil loves to remind us of our sins. 
But that's not God. So if you find yourself remembering past sins and getting all anxious about it, that's not God. That's not God talking to you. That's the devil. Okay? God rather wants you to continue to trust in his mercy and to praise him. To praise God for his mercy. To rejoice with him. Because he rejoices. There's no mistake about that. Luke chapter 15. The whole chapter is about mercy. But the parable of the lost sheep. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? So if there's a lost soul, God goes after that soul. But he needs us to pray for those souls so that his grace can flow, so that his light can shine and touch their hearts. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I found my sheep, which was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the mind of God. This is the heart of God. This is how God thinks and feels. This is what he desires, that people turn back to him. This is what we're praying for tonight. We're praying for the conversion of sinners. Let's shift gears and talk about forgiveness. Because in the Our Father, what do we pray? Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. So it's a little two-letter word in English, but it's like a big equals sign. Maybe you never thought about what you were really praying. (laughs) But what you're asking God to do is to measure out to you whatever you measure out to others. To forgive you only insofar as you forgive others. That's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? Maybe you never thought of it like that. But when you don't forgive others, or when you don't forgive yourself, you're handcuffing God. And you're really keeping yourself in prison, in bondage. So that's why this second key of the unbound process is forgiveness. 
Let's read the scriptures real quick. What did Jesus say about this? Mark's gospel, chapter 11, verse 24. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you receive it and you will. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. If you have anything against anyone. Forgive so that your father, our father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you and me our sins. Let's go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. Matthew chapter 6. They were asking him, or he was talking to them about prayer, teaching on prayer. So he teaches them the Our Father, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So God obviously is putting a lot of importance on forgiving. Because it's basically his nature to forgive us. Because he sees our intrinsic goodness. No matter what we've done... God can always still see the good in us. Like parents, especially moms, especially, I think have that special gift from God to always see the good in their children, no matter what they do. So you might say that's the motherly heart of God coming out. When he's always able to see the good in you, no matter what you do, God always sees the good in you and the potential that's there for even more good. But sometimes we lose sight of that in ourselves and in other people. How does that happen? Well, that, that's what sin does. When we sin and when other people sin against us, our intellect is darkened. Our ability to see the way that God sees is darkened. And then our hearts get twisted. Our hearts, our desires get disordered. And our wills are to do good, the will that we have to do good, to use our freedom for good, that becomes weaker and weaker. So this is how sin affects us. Again, that's why we need to ask for repentance. So we can continue to see as God sees. It's a little prayer that I wrote that I love to share with people. I used to have it on a little prayer card, but 
It goes like this. Lord, help me to see and to love in myself what you see and love in me. And help me to see and love in other people what you see and love in them. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Again, it's a grace, dear brothers and sisters. We can't just decide to do it. It's not a natural thing. Forgiveness is not a natural reaction. It's not a natural response. It's supernatural. It's divine. You follow me? So we need to ask God for his help, his grace, to help us forgive. Let's talk a little bit about what forgiveness is not. Because I think we Catholics tend to equate forgiveness with reconciliation. And of course, they're related, but they're not the same thing. And so I'm afraid sometimes when we hear forgiveness, we're thinking reconciliation. And then we're thinking, that's impossible. But God is not asking us to reconcile with our enemies all the time, this side of heaven. Sometimes it's, why? He's not commanding that or demanding that because reconciliation takes two people who are ready, willing, and able to get back together, to rebuild trust. So that's not on you. God can't demand you to do something that takes two people to freely engage in. You follow me? So forgiveness really only involves you and your choice, your decision to forgive. So forgiveness is not reconciliation. Again, sometimes this side of heaven, it's impossible. It's certainly not always prudent. So God doesn't command the impossible. Speaking of which, Sometimes you hear people say, forgive and forget. Well, God didn't say that. God never said that we had to forgive and forget. That's not in the gospel, okay? Because sometimes it's impossible to forget. Now, that doesn't mean that you should hold a grudge. That doesn't mean that you should hold a grudge and refuse to forgive, Or hold it over somebody for the rest of their life. Sometimes spouses do that. Or you do it with your kids. Or kids do it with their parents. They constantly remind the other person about the bad thing they did 35 years ago. When you were unfaithful or when you whatever. You lied. You failed at business. Whatever. Whatever it was. And you never let it go. Forgiveness is not hanging it over somebody's head for the rest of their life. That's not forgiveness. So what is it? What is it? It's basically choosing to give to God 
what is hurting, the offense, the pain, and you give it to God. The desire to be the judge and the jury and the executioner. Give that to God. As hard as that is sometimes. But again, trust. Trust that the Lord will take care of it. Sometimes we put this burden on ourselves to fix it. Or we put the burden on the other person to fix it before we will forgive them. That's not forgiveness either. Or I want that person to feel my pain. That's not forgiveness. But we give them to God. We give the person and the offense to God. And we say, God, you take care of it. It's beyond me. I can't fix it. I can't control it. I can't make it better. I can't change them. I can't convince them. You take care of it. And God will honor that. God will honor that in a way that only God knows. But that's where we trust in his mercy and in his justice to make all things new. To make all things new. And sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. You don't forgive yourself for failing. You don't forgive yourself for the mistake that you made. But God knows why we do the things we do. Did you ever do something that you didn't really want to do, but you you couldn't help yourself? I think we've all done that, right? How many times have you said to yourself, okay, I'm not going to lose my patience, or I'm not going to do that thing that I know I shouldn't do, and and you do it anyway. Not that you want to do it, but like St. Paul said, I can't do the thing that I want to do, and I, I do the thing that I don't want to do. That was St. Paul. And so he had to say, who's going to save me? Only the Lord. Only by the grace of God can we be saved, can we be healed, can we be transformed. Sometimes when bad things happen to us, whether it was of a sinful nature or not, but when something painful happens or happened to us, it can, it can get stuck. That's really what trauma is. It's, it's when something bad happens and we don't have the capacity to process it in the moment. And so it, it gets stuck in our minds and in our hearts and our bodies. And unless we really deal with it with God's grace and, and the help of others, if we, if we need other people to help us through it, it will continue to affect us and our behavior. And we'll get triggered. And then we can blame people in the present moment for how we're feeling. 
but really it's something that happened to us years ago that's getting triggered and causing us all kinds of anxiety or anger or fear. And we're now projecting that onto the person in front of us. God understands that. And we're starting to understand it more and more by the grace of God. But God understands it perfectly. And so that's where we just need to surrender ourselves to him more and more. Not try to control people or to try to control ourselves all the time. But to allow the Lord to love on us where we most need it. Because that's what heals. Divine mercy heals. When we talk about the saving power of divine mercy, we're talking about the healing power of divine mercy. I'm going to go back to the diary here. I perform works of mercy in every soul. The greater the sinner, the greater the right he has to my mercy. My mercy is confirmed in every work of my hands. He who trusts in my mercy will not perish, for all his affairs are mine, and his enemies will be shattered at the base of my footstool. He who trusts in my mercy will not perish. For all his affairs are mine, and his enemies will be shattered at the base of my footstool. I realize you might have an enemy or two out there right now. The Russians, and maybe not all Russians, but Vladimir Putin in particular. I imagine... Some of you, many of you, are having a real hard time with him right now, as, as is the whole world. What can we say about this? Let's look to St. Paul again, Romans chapter 12. Marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So if somebody wronged you, like Vladimir Putin, you can hate what they do. God hates the sin. That's another thing with forgiveness sometimes. I think we struggle with it because we think, oh, now I have to like the person or I have to forget what they did or, or just ignore. No. No, you can hate what was done. You can hate what is being done. But then God always loves the sinner, the person, and wants to save them. So again, that's hard to make that distinction, especially when it's personal, can be very hard. But that's where we have to ask God for his help, for his understanding, for his patience and mercy. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Never flag in zeal. Be aglow with the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. 
Well, thanks be to God, we see that all over Europe right now. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So you can't curse Vladimir Putin. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I think we're all doing that. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Can I repeat that? That's verse 19, Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, Paul continues, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not, be, do not be overcome with evil, with hatred, but overcome evil with good. I know that's hard. I know that's hard. Again, it's not a natural kind of response, okay? What Paul is talking about here. It's supernatural. It's divine. But it's really what Jesus, our Savior, modeled for us. This is really what sets Christians apart. Because I, you know, I love your president. I mean, from what I've seen of him in the last couple of weeks. But I did hear him say or talk about unforgivable behavior. And so we don't want to consider anything unforgivable. It's terrible. It's awful. But we shouldn't consider anything unforgivable. Because then that keeps us in bondage. And that's allowing ourselves to become overcome, to be defeated by evil. Because there's no way out if we're overcome with hatred and and unforgiveness. So Jesus is providing us a way out. His truth, his mercy. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I know that doesn't mean that people won't be killed in the process. And that's a terrible tragedy. Somehow, some way, God can bring good out of this. I know when you look at innocent people dying, that makes no sense. And it is senseless. It's absurd. Death is always absurd. Death was never a part of God's plan. Again, it entered the world through sin. So we have hope in the risen Lord Jesus. That even when we die, we know that we're going to live forever in the Father's house. 
if we are forgiven, if we ask for forgiveness, we are forgiven. We are cleansed of our sin. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb. So there's our hope. And as I close tonight, let me read one more quote here. Well, I'll just repeat that Jesus says, if only they could understand that I am the best of fathers to them and that it is for them that the blood and water flowed from my heart as from a fount, overflowing with mercy. For them, I dwell in the tabernacle as king of mercy. So again, Jesus is imploring us to pray, to trust to open our hearts to him and to his love that transforms us. He wants us to feel loved by him. He wants us to feel his closeness, to experience that, to know it, but not just know it intellectually, but to experience it for ourselves. And when we ask forgiveness and when we forgive those who have sinned against us, That's God at work in us. His life flows through us and with us and in us. And we're set free. We become new. And we grow in love. We become more and more like him. That's the goal of our Christian life. The goal of our Christian life is not to get to heaven. Heaven comes down here every day or every Sunday. And comes into your heart when you receive Holy Communion. The ultimate goal of our Christian lives is to be transformed. Is to allow God to transform us from the inside out. So that we can truly be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. That's what this world needs now more than ever. Witnesses to hope. Apostles of mercy. That's what the world needs. So let's pray that we can all become that more and more. That we can proclaim God's mercy to this world that is so desperately in need of his grace. Eternal Father, we offer you the body and blood soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and for the sins of the whole world, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Amen.